You're listening to audio from Cornerstone Church. We hope you're encouraged by the following message. Let's jump in. We're going to do a series on the core this, this, the first of this year, and that's what we're going to talk about a little bit, the core. And all it's going to be is on, the, the whole part of what it's about is really about the center of who God created us to be and about the center of what God really works through us. And I'm going to use some things in this, but I am, I'm going to introduce a few things today. But in the next month or so, I'm going to do a series really about um, some relational things. So I wanted you to hear me before I begin today. So I'm going to share some things with you. And I know, I know that many of you, many of you, you do devotions, you read your Bible, and, and you know, you come to church and you're looking for <clears throat> a lot of some scriptures, some Bible teachings, some things like that. I'm going to do all that. But I also want you to understand this, that God created you. Um, you are not just a spiritual being. You are a spirit. God created your spirit. That's the part of you that gets reborn. But there's another part of you that really is where the day-to-day operation takes place, and that is your soul realm. That's your emotions, your mind, and your will. That's the part of you that deals with your boss at work. I hate to tell you this, but you can pray for him all day long spiritually, but you've got to interact with him in the soul, right? You can't just go, in the name of Jesus, I don't want to talk to you right now. That'll get you fired, You've got to deal and learn how to manage those relationships. So we're going to talk some about that. But the core, I got this idea from <clears throat> a while back last year. I was just feeling pretty bad physically, just didn't feel very good. And so I, I really was, I looked at everything. I thought, well, you know, I've got to examine some things. What am I eating? What am I doing? You know, everybody told me, hey, as you get older, your metabolism slows down. You just can't eat what you want. And I thought, yeah, right, whatever. It's true. Now, for all you guys right here, that means nothing to you. That's exactly what I thought when I was your age. And you think like, oh, I'll never be his age. Oh, you're getting there. Don't worry. You're going to get here. Don't worry. It's coming one day. Your metabolism stops. But so I just switched up some things. And one of the things I started reading about was really about your core, trying to develop some of the core in your life, your training and things like that. And I'm not some crazy, I don't do extreme stuff. I mean, but I did begin to study and learn about this, and really the idea is that really the center of who you are is what develops everything else about you. Physically, spiritually, emotionally, every area, the core is what develops everything else. And so in our lives, I'll start today, and I'm going to talk to you today a little bit about the heart, okay? Now, um, and I'm going to call this the, the message today, A Heart for God. Okay, this is a new year. Welcome 2020, right? That's going to be easy to remember. I'm so glad because 2019, it was a weird, I don't know, for me, right in the date, 2020 is so cool. Like for a whole year, you just get to put 2020 down. My middle child asked me yesterday, she goes, hey, Dad, so when is it going to be like 21,000, 23,000, 3,000 year, 3,000? I was like, what are you talking about? She said, you know, the next big number. And I was like, oh, you mean like the year 2100? She said, yeah, yeah, yeah. She said, will you be around for that? And I was like... I don't think so, baby. I don't think so. I said, she goes, well, I said, I think you might be there. I think you might. She goes, that'll be so cool. I say, yeah, that's going to be awesome. What does that have to do with anything? She goes, I'm just looking forward to it. I think it'll be a neat thing because she was thinking a century turning over is so cool. I said, hey, why don't you just enjoy the 2020, you know, instead of looking forward that far away, just enjoy the 2020. But 2020, I felt like as we begin this series, talking a little bit about the core and in each of our lives today, I want to share with you about the heart to understand a truth. This is one truth. Every week I'm going to share with you the truth about the core of who you are. And this one is about the heart, okay? Every one of us in this room, you may not agree with this, but it is the truth. You might say, I disagree with that. I don't believe that. It will not change the fact of the truth of this statement. Everyone in this room... No matter how strong you are, no matter if you can bench press the back end of a Volkswagen, I don't care if you are the strong man, strongest man in the world, doesn't matter. Everybody, every human is dependent. Every human. Every one of us. And the thing is, God created you that way. You are a dependent person. Now, the quicker we understand that, the better off you're going to be relationally with everybody, including with God. Because think about this. Who is it, if we're here today, who is it that we are here to worship? It's God. Why are we here today is to learn something about God. Because why? We are frail people. We're dependent upon God. 
And if you think you're so tough, let me just throw this. If you think you're so tough, if you think you don't need anybody, if you think you're, you know, you're just so strong, then why is it that no matter what goes on in the economy, Tums, Advil, NyQuil, and chicken noodle soup always gets purchased because at some point in your life, everyone knows this, you're going to have a cold. You get some little kid, wrap something on you, and you get what they had, you know? I got three kids, so believe me, we, we're kind of immune to some of that stuff now. But, you know, you just, it, you're going to get a cold one day. If you're so tough, why do you need NyQuil? If you're so tough, why do you take an Advil? Because no matter how cool you think you are right now, you come in this way, every one of y'all, young folks over here. As soon as you tear something... Listen to me, you, don't, you think you're tough until something tears or breaks and you go like, I'm not so tough after all. I got to get a little bit more creative in how I deal with things. We are all dependent. And I hate to tell you this, frail people. Frail. I mean, the moment you see red come out of your skin, you reach for Band-Aids. If you don't think you're frail, like the last time I cut myself working on something, I was like, man, you know, you're going, that was too easy. Just a little bitty nail or a little piece of splinter just cuts you right so simply because your, your flesh is so, so frail. We are all dependent people. And this is why you need to understand this. Because everybody needs to know this. If we are dependent, you need to understand if God created you that way, you need to know who you are really dependent upon. Whether it's relationally, humanly, or divine. Because you're going to be dependent on someone or something. It's the way God created your heart to operate. Who do you willingly depend upon? So let's talk a little bit about this this morning. The first thing, I want you to answer maybe the question maybe this morning is, what is my heart like? What is my, the way that God created me, what is my heart like? Now I'm going to share some things with you and please understand, look, I'm not trying to give you a psychology lesson. I'm not trying to teach you and break down. You can get all kind of books on this kind of stuff. I'm going to give you some very brief definitions. I, I, I kind of summarize them for you. But I do want you to understand this. Like As a pastor, i got to be honest with you. If you got one out of 100 people come to me, I would dare say this. Less than five ask me questions about the book of Revelation, the horseman in the water, or the horseman, the dragon in the sea, Um. What does it mean? Are we going to be raptured pre, post, mid? Which, whose guy's right? What does it mean? Less than five out of 100. I can guarantee you that. You know what the other 95 people are going to ask me? How do I deal with my spouse? Help me get along with a coworker. I got a family that's nuts. I got a family that's nuts. I have to spend Christmas with a family that's nuts. (laughs) The majority of what we go through in life naturally, and I'm not trying to downplay the Bible because the Bible has answers for everything. It really does. The problem is when we over-spiritualize Christianity, and I don't want you to take away this year. I do not want you to hear this. I am not pulling away from the core of God's word. His word is true. But his word has answers for us. And if 95%, or let's say 95 out of 100 people are going to ask me about these core issues, I don't want to take 95% of my time for the year to give you 5% of what you might really want to know. I would rather feed you something that's going to help you right now, naturally and biblically, not taken away from God's word. So please don't think that today, okay? But please understand, you are a dependent person, and this is all Biblically based, I could give you many scriptures, but I'm just going to give you some ideas about what your heart is like right now, okay? So <clears throat> these are relationships. See which one you might be. I'll put them on the screen. First one is this, is a codependent person. Now, we're going to be very honest this morning. We're going to be very truthful with each other. We're going to be very open with ourselves, okay? The first one is this, though, a codependent person. It simply means this. Put it on the screen for you. It's the demands of one person consume the support of another. The demands of one person consumes the support of another. It means this, you can never say enough yes to them. Typically, in this relationship, it eventually leads to, not always, but the majority of the time it leads to addiction, substance abuse, any kind of relational abuse. 
It's, it's no matter what you do, it's never enough, you know? You just, and no matter which side are you on, ask yourself the question right now. Are you the person that you get mad when someone says no to you? Or are you the person that you always say yes, no matter what? That's a codependent relationship. And there's some of you in this room right now, you probably are in that category. You need to be honest about it. Just ask yourself, man, is that me? The second one is this, a counterdependent relationship. This is a person who reacts to the behavior of another, and they begin behaving like them. So in other words, in Bible school, we're in Bible school. It was hilarious. The, the leader of the, the Bible college at the time, the president, he was like late 80s, and he had posture kind of like this. You know, so he'd walk kind of like this. I mean, he's an older guy, right? You know, it's normal. He'd walk like this. It was hilarious to watch some of the young guns. I mean, they'd be 18 years old, just graduated high school, physically fit as all get out. The more they watched him preach, you know what they started doing? They do the same thing he did, hold their little hands like him. And you look at him and go, what's the matter with him? Now, everywhere else, they walk like this. What's up, man? You know, they just cry. They get start preaching like this. It's the most, why? What are they doing? It's nothing wrong with it in the sense that you, 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 you kind of mimic or you, you kind of pick up on your mentor. There's nothing wrong with that. But the thing is, it gets kind of weird when you start reacting to someone else's behavior and emulate that and mirror it to the point that you are like them. That's a counter-dependent relationship. Some of you here, maybe that's you. Here's another one, a dependent relationship. Well, I thought you said, Pastor, we're all dependent. We are. Just hang in there. Dependent relationship. It means it takes ownership to the point that they are lost to the individual. You're the person that says yes to everything. That's the other side of it. You just say yes, 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 I'll do it. And you don't have the money to do it. You don't have the time to do it. You can barely keep up with your own stuff, and you're trying to take on theirs too. Tell them no. Everybody practice right now. We're going to say it together. It's a word that's not used. It's almost considered a curse word in our society today. On account of three, you're going to practice what's called a no muscle. We're going to say it together, okay? One, two, three. No. Well, that, wow, that was really strong. It's because you wanted to say it to somebody and you hadn't said it. That's why it sounded so strong, right? It's okay to say no. It's okay. But if that's you this morning, be honest with yourself. Here's one more. An independent relationship. Now, this individual is one who only invests in others when it benefits them. They are self-seeking. In other words, the other person who says, I don't need anybody, they say that, but they basically just use people to get what they want. They don't let anybody in. They just use people for what they need. They're self-seeking individuals. And, and let's just be honest. If you're in here and that's, if that's something you struggle with, just be honest about it with yourself and with God this morning. And let's let God do some things in our lives. This last one is the one, though, that is the healthy relationship. This is the one that all the ones I just gave you are, are relationships our personalities or relational environments that we all struggle with. They are all because of the fall, if you will. They are all because we have issues, family dynamics, whatever you grow. It doesn't matter. All of us struggle with those first ones I gave you. This last one is the one that God wants to redeem and make right. And that's called an interdependent relationship. Now look at what it says. Take a moment to read this. There's balance. There's cooperation. There's a mutual support and respect that encourages growth in a relationship. It encourages growth in the relationship. Now, you may be thinking to yourself, well, I didn't grow up with that. Well, most of us didn't. I mean, I, I, I want to say, right, majority of us did not grow up in an environment where everyone sat around the tables, hey, everyone, we're going to have mutual respect dialogue, conversations, and we're all going to grow and encourage one another. No. Most people was like, do you clean your room? No. Do you do this? No. Everybody's got their own thing because you bring it to the table. A family is very uniquely created. But this is what God really wants. And to be honest with you, if we are made in God's image, what does that tell you? God himself has unique qualities as well. 
Now, which one out of the five, I'll put them all up there for you at one time. I think if we have one, all five up there, guys, can you put that up there? Out of the five, which one do you think God's probably more like? Do you think if he was a codependent, do you think he's like that? I don't think so. Do you think he's a counter-dependent person? Where he start, based on what I read from Scripture, we're not, he don't conform to us. We conform to him. You know? What about the next one? Do you think he's dependent? Like, you know, just, just so dependent. Like, you know, no, I don't, I don't think he's like that. I certainly don't think he's interdependent. He would not have given Jesus. He wasn't self-seeking. He gave. I think he's mostly like the last one. He really wants to have balance, a cooperation, a support that encourages your growth and transformation. That's what God wants for you. That's what God expects from us. So the question is this morning, why does this matter? Pastor Jody, why does it matter? If we even talk about my heart, why does it matter that I even change or discuss the idea of changing? Let me tell you why. Because the less you value yourself, the more you try to get others to value you. And all the first four relationships are all designed or are, are, are based upon the fact that it's a lack of value that you have for yourself. The last one is the only one that gives benefit to both relationships. The less you value yourself, the more you want other people to value you. It's why we do what we do. No matter what people tell you, listen, I'll be real with you right now. No matter what anyone tells you, everyone and everyone loves an attaboy. Anybody who tells you, like, I don't need anything, I'm fine, I'm just so scared. No, they're, they're the most insecure person in the room. Everybody needs to be told, hey, you're good. Hey, I appreciate you. Hey, you know what? You did great. Even if they really tried and failed, they still need to be told, good job for trying. Everybody needs that. But when you don't get that, here's what we do. We try really, really hard to get you to like me because I don't really like myself. That is our heart. Like it or not, you can argue with me all day long. You say, well, I don't believe that. I can sit with you in five minutes' time and tell you probably which one of them you are. Probably true. You can sit with me and tell me which one I am within five minutes if you just sit and listen long enough. Why does it matter? What does it have to do with God? It has everything to do with God. Because if I'm not honest with my own heart, I can't relate to God the way I need to, and I can't relate to you the way that God wants me to. The Scriptures say this, Proverbs 23, 19. My child, listen and be wise. Keep your heart on the right course. Listen and be wise. Keep your heart on the right course. Why does he say that? Because your heart is a relational, like a magnet. And whatever you get your heart next to, it will like stick to. This is why God gives us so many scriptures that tell us, be careful that you're not unequally... Oh, y'all been reading the Bible with unbelievers. It's not that God hates unbelievers. God loves unbelievers. He gave Jesus for us. We were unbelievers. What he's saying is this. If you're a Christian and you join with someone who's not a Christian, you're going to fight against each other. And what's eventually going to happen is they'll lead your heart astray because emotionally your heart is designed to snap to something. And once it does, it will go in the direction of whatever it's snapped to. And you can say, no, 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 not me. You're defying the scriptures when you say that's not me. All of us, your heart, whatever you connect it to, boom, it's going to follow. Jesus actually even said this. This is in Matthew's Gospel 6, 21. It doesn't have to be a person. It could be things. Jesus said, "Whatever, wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. You don't, you don't have to have you don't have to have a person. Your heart will attach to a thing. If you don't believe that's true, Rick Warren says it like this. I'll put it on the screen for you. He says, if you want to know where your heart is, just examine where you put your treasure. Now, that could be money. It could be things. It could be a person. It could be anything. It's whatever your heart is attached to. I'm telling you right now, that's where your treasure is. Wherever you put your treasure, your heart is like a 
The treasure in heart, it's like a magnet. They just kind of, it can't break away from it. So the thing, what is a treasure then? It's whatever you place value on. Whatever you place value on. It doesn't have to be money. It can be money. And Jesus was talking about money there, but it could be a thing. It could be. It could be a career. It could be a job. It could be a bad relationship. You're trying to fix it, and you just don't have the power to do it. Whatever you value is treasure in your heart. Watch this. It, it just, it's like a magnet. Or we would say like this maybe a better illustration. It's like a moth to the flame. You know, that ain't, you, you ever watched a moth when it gets near a flame? It's kind of gross, but it's what happens. That's why God tells you, be careful what you connect your heart to. Because whatever you're connecting your heart to is what it's going to lead you down. My son, my daughter, give attention to my words. Be wise and understand. Keep your heart on the right course. So that's, what, what is our, that's our heart. Whether we like it or not, it's our heart. I would love to say, oh, we're a bunch of redeemed Christians. And yes, we have such great interpersonal skills. And we're so relationally, man, smart. And we got it all together, but we don't. If we did, we wouldn't have the issues we have. But to ignore that and to say it's not true is only denying reality. God says, this is our heart. What do you want your heart to be like? This is our heart. So let's ask a question this morning. What is God's heart like then? If God is is a person who, he's a spirit, but if God, if we're made in the image of God, then there are some qualities that are in us that are God-like. Not everything about us, you know, is, is of the fall. There are some divine qualities, especially as a Christian. You've been given life and godliness through Jesus Christ. You've been given everything that's necessary and needful for this life. It all comes down to a matter of renewing our mind and learning what it means to follow Christ. But what is God's heart like? Let me break it down like this. I think God's heart is really that of a shepherd. It's the closest thing I could give you probably as an illustration of who he... If you were to look at someone physically... A person. I don't think he would be like a Steve Jobs. I don't think he would really be interested in the newest fad, you know, technology and all that kind of stuff. I don't think he's, you know, like super CrossFit guy. You know, I'm sure he's great, but he's the one that told you, you know, bodily exercise, it profits a little bit, but better to profit for eternal life, your, your soul and your spirit. He, he's, I don't think he's like that. I don't think he's like a Warren Buffett, a super big investment guy that, that looks at his bottom line and his numbers because if you look at his investment and what he did, I mean, look at his return on investment. I mean, there's over half the population is not saved. You know what I'm saying? I think he looks at that and probably goes, man, I wish I could get a little more return on my investment. But I think he's like a shepherd. And a shepherd is someone who's willing to give their life for their flock, even when they don't feel like it. They're willing to give them themselves when it doesn't benefit them. And there are two types of shepherds in Scripture. I want you to show, I'll share this from the Scripture so you can understand this a little bit more. But Jeremiah chapter 3 and verse 15, this word shepherd, it says, God says, and I will give you shepherds. Now, this is not pastor, by the way. It can be a pastor, but that's not necessarily the word shepherd. The word actually is the word leader, but it could be a civic shepherd or it could be a spiritual shepherd. Now, let me ask you a question. Would it... Would it hurt your feelings to have both? I, I pray to God our nation be filled with spiritual shepherds and civic shepherds that follow God. Wouldn't you love that if this new year they'd all stop all that yin-yang, sound like a bunch of preschoolers up there on the hill. You take my toy box. You take my sandbox. You take my truck. Yeah, 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 yeah. And they stopped all that mess and actually had some divine intervention, straighten it all out. Wouldn't that be wonderful? Well, see, what if they started acting more like... What would you think about pastors if we acted the way they act? Some do, but just saying. What if in your city, all the pastors acted like the people that do in Congress sometimes? Would you have any respect for us at all? You shouldn't. This word is both. It's civic and spiritual. And he says, I will give you... This is God's heart. Listen to what he says. I will give you shepherds or leaders after my own heart and they will guide you with knowledge and understanding. God's heart is so for you. 
that this correlates with the scriptures in Timothy where it says, first of all, I pray. First of all, I would have you pray for those who are in authority, your civic leaders and your spiritual leaders. Why? This is the most beautiful thing about prayer. When you pray for both, the Bible says, so that things will go well for you. That's the heart of a shepherd. God cares so much about your well-being that he's not satisfied for you just to have a church. He wants your city government and city environment and your nation to be well-managed and ran so that why? Things go well for you, that your jobs are great, that your streets are great. You may say, what does it have to do with spiritual things? It has everything to do with spiritual things. You hit enough potholes and your anger issues go up. You know what I'm saying? It'll affect your, your emotions there. Now, I'm making a lot of it, but God wants you to have a good life. Believe it or not, he does. And he says, I will give you. That's the heart of a shepherd. Now, let's learn about shepherd here. I'm going to share something with you here about this. In the Hebrew, it's the word ra, R-A-A-H. I'll put it on the screen for you there so you can see it, R-A-A-H. Pronounce it any way you want. Ra, ra, whatever. It's, it's Hebrew. It's not English, so we say it this way. It's probably even, not even pronounced that way. But the word is ra, best I can do for you. That's the word shepherd. Now, I'm going to read you another scripture. And don't you listen to this from Exodus 10.10. This is another type of scripture. It says, then he said, this is talking about the Pharaoh. Moses has come to Pharaoh many times, and he said, let my people go. You remember the song? Pharaoh, Pharaoh. Oh. Okay, you remember the song, right? You've seen, you seen DreamWorks? You've seen Moses, the prince of Egypt, how many times he went back? Okay, this is what's going on, and this is about the eight, in between the sixth, seventh plague. Moses goes back, and he says, let him go. In Exodus 10.10, Pharaoh says this, basically in sarcasm, thus may the Lord be with you. He's basically saying, of course, if I let you go, that's what you're going to say. See, God delivered us. I'm not letting you go. It's a sarcastic remark he's made. He says, thus may the Lord be with you if ever I let you and your little ones go. Take heed, for evil is in your mind. And we read that as if to say, well, he's talking about Moses. It has nothing to do with Moses. Very interesting word here. The word evil is actually the word R-A-H. When you're looking up in your Bible, it's... It's really an interesting thing. The word, how close is that to the word shepherd? The very funny thing is about this word. Um, the word, I'm going to finish reading the scripture to you so you can understand, but the word, the translation of this is in your mind. When he says evil, he's saying ra is in your mind. It means before your face. He's actually saying evil is before your face or ra is before your face. That's actually what he's saying. The very interesting about this, the word Pharaoh means this. In most translations, they tell you this, the word Pharaoh means great house or divine order, whatever. But most of the Jewish historians, majority will say some other things about the Pharaoh. It's the word pero or para a, or you say para, if you will, however you want to say that. It comes from that plus ra, which is the sun god. If you ever watched Moses, the DreamWorks version, you know, I like that one better. It's just more entertaining than me. I mean, I'm sorry. But I, the singing and all, it makes it a much better production for me. But anyway, maybe it's because i got kids. I don't know. But if you ever see the little guys that are the, the, the little, uh, little priest men who are magicians and stuff, Moses throws down the stick and it turns into a snake and all stuff, and they say, oh, we can do this with the power of rah. And they start dancing, doing their thing, you know, and all that kind of stuff. You've seen it, right? Well, you've been hanging like that. You, so Netflix has something called The Prince of Egypt. You should go and watch it. It's probably one of the best, closest, honestly, I'm not making it up. It's probably one of the closest versions of the story of the Bible that I've actually watched. It really is. It's a great, great, they did a great job with that one. And so as they're doing this, these guys are fake magicians, fake priests, and they said, by the power of Ra, Ra was a sun god. Well, the word Pharaoh, it's put together with this idea of, Ra, the sun god. Really, the idea is who Pharaoh was, he was the president and the high priest of the nation. He was just, he was the civic and spiritual leader of the, of the world, if you will. No one was greater than Pharaoh. And if you look at this, the closeness of these and what they are like, the word shepherd is the word Ra, R-A-A-H. The word Pharaoh is R-A-H. It's so close. And basically what Pharaoh was saying to them is, listen, you think I'm going to let you go? (laughs) 
So why? So you can go out in that wilderness and say your God delivered you? You better recognize because Pharaoh is before your face. That's what he was saying. He could care less if they had evil. He has nothing to do with Moses. He's letting him know, I'm Pharaoh. And I'm, I'm the one that's going to lead this thing. Basically, in, in most, when you read this in Exodus, Pharaoh was like a shepherd. Not a good one. But he was one. This is why the people of Israel, they wanted to turn back. If you read about this, you remember when they said, after Moses couldn't get them across the Red Sea, and all, they're all mad, we should have let, stayed in Egypt. We should have stayed over there. They get over the Red Sea later. They didn't get the right food they wanted. The water. Now they're complaining again. We should have stayed over there. At least in Egypt, we had steak in the meat pots. We had a house. We had linens, Egyptian cotton linens. Come on, man. We had all this stuff. Look what you brought us to. Why were they saying that? They were more dependent upon Pharaoh, even though he was a bad shepherd, than they were in God, who wanted to be a good shepherd to them. Now, in the Egyptian bondage, Israel was faced with two choices. They could continue as they were under Pharaoh or move to a new shepherd that they did not know and could not see. Now, the thing I'm sharing this with you this morning is because I want you to understand that Pharaoh looked down at them. And though he said, I don't need anyone, I'm Pharaoh. You know he actually needed? The Israelites to build all of his pyramids, to do all of his work, he saw his treasure was the Israelite slaves. And that's all he cared about. That's all. He, Even though he says, I'm not dependent, guess what? He was dependent. He couldn't do what he did without them. And no matter who you are, no matter where you are, I promise you, every one of us has some form of dependency. So I want to transition now. That's a bad shepherd. Pharaoh was a bad shepherd. And, and spiritually, we're liking to look at this as God brought us out of Egypt into the kingdom of his dear son, spiritually in a sense. God brought you out from a bad shepherd, being the devil, Satan, the bondage. That's why the Bible calls him the God of this world. He brought you out of that shepherding flock into a different shepherding flock. Now, let's, let me, let's read the, the idea about a good shepherd from John 10, which I find it something very interesting. Exodus 10, 10 Mirror that with John 10.10. Just don't forget, that would be easy to remember right there. Exodus 10.10 and John 10.10. Let me read you the whole context of this before I get to John 10.10. So John 10 verse 1 says, Truly I say to you, this is Jesus, He who does not enter by the door into the fold of the sheep but climbs up some other way, he's a thief and a robber. But he who enters the door (coughs) is a shepherd of the sheep. To him the doorkeeper opens and the sheep, watch this, hear his voice. The sheep hear his voice. And he calls his own sheep by name and he leads them out. Watch what I, the heart. doesn't matter who, what you connect it to. Your heart's going to follow something. Everybody who leads actually follows something. No one leads on their own. He says this. He says, my sheep what? My sheep hear my, my voice. And, and he calls his own sheep by name and he leads them out. And when he puts forth all of his own, he goes Ahead of them. And the sheep, what? They just, they fall along. And I hate to tell you this, maybe you don't like what God calls us. I know, I wish he would have called us like maybe, I don't know, lions would have been cool. Any other animal sounds awesome, but a sheep. He calls us sheep. Of all the animals in the world, it would have been great if we'd have been called something. Like even elephants, well, not elephants, that's too close to Bama, but maybe anything else, but like, Something, you know, but a sheep, they're the most defenseless. They're stupid. I hate to say it, but that's what God, I I don't think he's being mean. I think he just says, you're so dependent without someone leading you. You're going to make very foolish mistakes. You'll pay attention to the thing that's out there. It looks like a sheep, but he's really big. He's got a rifle, but he's got sheep fur on him. But maybe he's a buddy. Let's go talk to him. The shepherd would say, you don't go outside the pen. That's a hunter. Oh, is that why he looks like that? We just aren't very smart sometimes without a leader. And I mean a spirit, God. I'm not talking about God. He goes on to say this. Watch. He says, verse 5, a stranger they simply will not follow. 
but will flee from him because they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech, Jesus spoke to them, but they did not understand what those things he was saying to them. Verse 7, so Jesus said to them again, truly, truly, I say unto you, I am the door of heaven. He says, if anyone enters through me, he'll be saved and I will go and we'll go in and find great pasture. Verse 10 says, the thief comes only to steal, to kill and to destroy. But watch this. Good shepherd says, I've come that they might have life and have it more abundantly. Verse 11, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who is not the owner of the sheep, sees a wolf coming and he leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he's a hired hand and he's not concerned about the sheep. But I'm the good shepherd. And I know my own and my own know me. Even as the Father knows me and I know the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep, I have other sheep which are not of this fold. I must bring them also. He's referring to you. And they will hear my voice. For people say, well, I can't hear from God. Jesus says you will hear his voice. It doesn't mean he's got to have a multi-paragraph you know, paragraph conversation with you. You just kind of, sometimes he's talking. He says this. He says, they will know my voice, and they will become one flock with one shepherd. For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life so that I might take it again. No one has taken it away from me, but I lay it down on my own. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to pick it up again. This commandment I received from my Father the heart of a good shepherd is willing to lay down his life for his flock. And Jesus did that. He did it for you. But he did it to show something else. Even in our sin, he died for us. Why? Because we're dependent. We couldn't even make ourselves right with God. No matter how much we did, even in that case, we're still dependent on God. Even after salvation, we are still dependent on God. No matter what you need, you're dependent on God. The, the, the simplest things in life. I mean, the little things, the food that you eat. We think we're so smart because we grow things here and there and we can produce crops this way and that. I'm telling you right now, if it weren't for the atmosphere that God created, we wouldn't have anything. We are so dependent. If the earth shifts, just you worry about global warming. If the earth moves outside of its solar system, just at least amount of area, we're all dead, either vaporized or frozen, you know, two, frozen two. We're frozen or burn up, whatever we are. It's so proportionately right. We are so dependent on God. So what is God's heart like? What is a shepherd's heart like? Well, listen to this. Let me read a couple more scriptures. Psalm 78, verse 70 says, He chose his servant David, calling him from where? A sheep pen. You know, you'd think God would be calling David from some high place, right? Some big place of authority and power and some CEO from some big organization. You know, you know where God found him? Taking care of some sheep. Why? Because apparently God likes shepherds. He goes on to say this about him. He took David from tending the using the lambs, and made him the shepherd of Jacob's descendants, God's own people, Israel. Verse 72, this is an interesting thing. He cared for them with a true heart, and he led them with skillful hands. So I'm talking to you a little bit about the shepherd's heart. What's it like? If we're going to be honest with God and ourselves today, every one of us in this room, I've already told you, in some way, we're dependent. Now you can look at those five areas again. I'll put them up on the screen if you guys don't mind one more time, so you can see this one more time. But if you know the heart of a shepherd and what it's like, a shepherd is truthful. It's honest. And a lot of times people don't like that. Because people want to hear what they want to hear. I don't know about you. I want to hear people say, you're cool. You're awesome. Hey, nothing's wrong with you. You're great. Hey, you know what? Matter of fact, every time I get around you, <laughs> I just think you're the best thing ever. That's all any of us want to really hear. No one ever wants to hear in their right mind, really. No one wants to sit down at the table and say, you know what, I'd like to share some things with you. Okay, great. You know, I'd like to talk to you about how you interact with me. You know, our relationship. Kind of, the way you say this is kind of rough around the corners. 
kind of frustrates me. Huh? No one wants to hear that. Do they? I don't know. If, anybody, if you raise your hand and say, yes, see me after church, we'll have prayer. Because you're lying through your teeth right now. You're lying. Nobody wants to hear that. These five things, though, look at this. I want you to look at it. Codependent relationships, counterdependent, a dependent or independent. Those four are probably in you somewhere. One of the four, maybe a mixture. The fifth one is what God wants, but that one takes a little work. Some divine intervention. But here's what a true shepherd does. The heart of a true shepherd is truthful. It's actually the word that we would use, integrity. It means even if they don't like what they see, they'll be honest enough to say the truth. Can I just challenge all of us right here right this morning? Why not be truthful with ourselves and with God this morning? And ask ourselves really, is there anything in 2020 God would like to change in my course of life with my heart? If it's a codependent relationship, how do I need to get some skills to change that? If it's a counterdependent, if I'm just trying to, why am I trying to be like, why am I trying to be like them? What does it matter? Why am I trying to emulate them? If it's, if it's a, a dependent relationship, man, why do I just keep letting that go on? Why do I feel the need? To, why can't I just say no? If you're so self-sufficient saying that I don't need anyone, why do you feel the need to portray such strength? when you're just as human as the rest of us. I guarantee you. I'll take, you know, you're no match for a Mack truck. He'll squash you just like me. Why, why do I feel this need to show and portray? Those, be truthful. Because there's one thing about integrity. You can be truthful with yourself, but watch this. You cannot pass down integrity to someone else. It doesn't work that way. It's not a DNA issue. You can't, well, have that gene of integrity, and so it's going to get passed. That's not the way it works. Just if you don't have kids, come hang out with us. Now, they're all different. Let me show you the proof of this to you real quick, and I'm, I'm going to wrap up with these last couple of thoughts. First Kings chapter 9, verse 1. Being honest with ourselves, watch this. It says, Now it came out about when Solomon had finished building the house of the Lord in the king's house that all the Solomon desired to do that the Lord appeared to Solomon a second time, as he had appeared to him in Gibeon. And the Lord said to him, I've heard your prayer and your supplication, which you have made before me. I've consecrated this house, which you built by putting my name there forever. And my eyes and my heart will be there perpetually. Watch verse 4. As for you, if. Everybody say if. If. If you walk before me, as your father David walked in integrity of heart and uprightness, doing according to all that I've commanded, and you will keep my statutes and my ordinances, then I will establish the throne of your kingdom over Israel forever, as I promised to your father David, saying, you shall not lack a man on the throne of Israel. He said, if you'll do what David did, I will do this for you. Meaning this, just because Solomon was David's son, it did not pass on. And if you read about Solomon, you see what happened. His heart, the Bible says that his heart was turned from God to women, a magnet. One woman wasn't enough, so he was turned. He allowed, the more women he got, the more he allowed them to turn him towards false worship of false gods. And his heart turned from God to false worship. Even to some stories of beliefs, even to the areas of sacrifice of humans, the God of Molech. He went so far as he turned to women, money. He turned to money more and more and more. He turned to fame more and more and more. And Solomon, he didn't, his kingdom didn't last. But God said, if you would just do what David did. So my thing about David is God keeps going back to these shepherds. It's very interesting to me. That God must have something about the shepherds that he views so much that he wants us to know 
This is his heart. He has the heart of a shepherd. So how is it possible then to be like David, who did make big mistakes, right? I mean, did you read about him and Bathsheba and all the things that went on? I mean, he broke all Ten Commandments like in one day. You understand? It was a bad day for David. But God said, this guy's after my heart. And I scratch my head sometimes. i got to be honest with you. I scratch my head. Don't you? Because I struggle some like, man, I had a bad temper. I said the wrong thing. Or maybe I made this decision. I go, man, that was a you know, bonehead. Like, you know? And I don't think sometimes that I'm a guy after God's own heart. Here's David breaks all top ten. And I go like, well, how does he get to be the guy after your heart? You know what I'm saying? It's just kind of. But I think it's because this is what he says. And I'll ask our worship guys to come up. But listen to scripture as they come up. <clears throat> In Acts chapter 2 and verse 25. And I understand those of you who study your Bibles. I understand this is a messianic prophecy scripture based on some things from Psalm. I understand that. But just listen to the context of it also. Acts 2.25, for David says of him, I saw the Lord always in my presence, for he is at my right hand, so that I will not be shaken. I saw the Lord always in my presence. I think what David did was, even though he made mistakes and he failed miserably so many times, David sought the Lord. He sought God's face constantly. I mean, you know, you think we worship loud and stuff in here. Look, this cat, I, we're not going to do it the way he did it. You can do this in your home, in your bathroom if you want to. But David got so out there with his words, he danced around the place in, the, in his bathrobe, man, towel. And then that falls off. He's like, ah. he's a little out there, you know. But he, he was a guy after God's own heart. He, he so passionately pursued God. His heart was so connected to God that even when he made mistakes and he failed and he made bad decisions, instead of going further like Solomon did and was turned towards these things, he repented and he turned his heart back to God and snapped back to God as quick as he could. He was always before the Lord. And the Bible says this, that he was before God's face. Listen, Pharaoh was before Israel's face. He was demanding, saying, look, I'm Pharaoh, and I'm before you. David was saying, God, I'm David, and I am before you. Do you see the difference between a shepherd's heart that loves God? They, they so want to please God. They're not wrapped up with all their mistakes in life. They're not wrapped up with all the things they've done wrong or right. They just want to turn to God and say, God, I just want my heart to be connected to you. And everything that I do. And a true heart of integrity comes from dependence on God and not ourselves. So can I just challenge all of us this morning? What is a fast all about? Is it really about your donuts or oranges or anything else? No. It's not that at all. Matter of fact, you don't have to tell me what you're... It means nothing to me what you're doing. It's not not about looking and comparing with each other saying, hey... What are you, you know, are you going to eat beans? Or are you going to eat lettuce? What are you going to, it has nothing to do with that. But I would challenge everybody in this room. What better time than the beginning of the year to seek the Lord's face? To turn our hearts towards him. And if in between you, your heart, and God, there is something here that seems to be in the way. Wouldn't it be like David? to just let that go for a couple of weeks. You know, it, maybe it's hamburgers. I don't know. Maybe it's not, Maybe it's sugar. Maybe it's caffeine. Maybe it's whatever. I don't, I don't know what it is. Maybe it's your social media. Maybe it's some other thing you're doing. I don't know. It doesn't matter to me. All I'm saying is, maybe you've got nothing. Maybe you're just so close to God. You need to pray for us. Fantastic. That's awesome. Please do then. But I know that for me, sometimes there's life it doesn't have to be sin, but between me and God, there's sometimes things that just kind of get in the way. Just take a couple of weeks and just lay aside. So this morning, right where you are, moment of truth, a shepherd's heart is one of integrity and honesty. Even when they don't want someone doesn't want to hear it, a shepherd's going to be truthful. Let's be truthful with one another right now, with ourselves right now. Don't let another year go by where we say, No, I'm not going to deal with this. Let's deal with 
our hearts. And let's start today. So I want you to close your eyes and bow your heads just for a moment right where you are. You know, when I do things like this and I examine my own heart, the scriptures tell me this, that I'm to look within sometimes, examine my motives, examine my heart, examine my life. Not to ignore it, but it's never fun, is it? It's never fun. But your relationships will be better for it. Starting with God and then starting with others. So right where you are this morning, I'm going to pray a prayer, and then I'm going to pray for those of you, if you don't know Christ, I'll pray for you as well in just a moment. But if you're here and right now, there's an area, maybe you feel like you're in one of those four areas I mentioned, some kind of dependent relationship that's not healthy. It's not like the fifth area that I mentioned to you. It's not healthy. It doesn't have a balance. It doesn't encourage growth. Right where you are, I want you to just allow God to speak to you right now. As I pray for you. Father, in the name of Jesus, Lord, we come to you and we ask you right now to speak to our hearts. Holy Spirit, you said through Jesus, you said that the good shepherd goes out and the sheep hears his voice in a stranger's voice that will not follow, but we can hear your voice, God. So today I pray that you would speak to our hearts. <clears throat> there are those of us here right now, Lord, they're in relationships that need some healthy boundaries. They need some healthy discussions, God. They need some things that that need to be examined. I pray right now in the name of Jesus, you give courage and strength to every person in this room to begin to put that before you and examine what they need to do. To not let another year go by and allow the relationship just to stay the same, but to see it change in Jesus' name. I pray for strength. I pray for courage right now. And I pray that you speak, Lord. Holy Spirit, speak to people's hearts this morning. And Lord, I pray if there's anybody here that doesn't know you, I pray today that they would come to know you in the name of Jesus. With your eyes closed and no one looking around right now, if you're here, maybe you've never been saved. And listen, I'm not about to try to make you an example or ask you to do anything other than just to pray a simple prayer. Jesus didn't make this difficult, and I'm not going to make it difficult either. But I'm going to lead you in a prayer because I found that most people, when they pray, they want to know that they are saved. And I don't want you to hear the enemy tell you after we pray that you're not saved. You could pray a prayer as simple as this. Lord, I just accept you. And boom, the Bible says if you call upon the name of the Lord, you're saved. But listen, I'm going to lead you in a prayer. I want you to have confidence that you know you're a Christian. So the whole church is going to pray with you right now if you're here. Just repeat this after me with the whole church right now. Say, dear Jesus, I come before you. And I give you my life, give you my heart, my soul, my spirit. I ask you to forgive me and cleanse me of all unrighteousness. I receive Jesus as my Savior. And I make Jesus my Lord today. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. We hope you were blessed by today's message. If so, feel free to pay it forward and share this podcast with someone else. Thanks for listening.